Once again, the children did a great job, and I want to thank all of those kids that were involved, all the children, and also the workers. I know Carl Fink puts a really a lot of work into that, but he also had Jen helping a lot, and uh, Judy did that work with the dancers, of course, once again. I'm thankful for you as well, and Karen, our special guest star this year, Karen Olson-Coy. So I'm very grateful, and they, you know, they once again shared the gospel with us, but I want to take a few moments as we close up to talk about the gospel and talk about what is the meaning of all this? What's the meaning of this Christmas message? You know, many times I think we are under the impression it's just fire insurance. It's just a, a get-out-of-hell-free card. And I want to make the case that Christmas is that and so much more. Jesus came fully God and fully man in order to die for our sins and give us life abundantly. That's the case that John 10.10 makes. And so I want to make an application here is that we need to repent and we need to surrender to Jesus. Surrender to Jesus and keep Christ at the center of Christmas. You know, we're just three days away from Christmas. And I wonder, what's the purpose of Christmas in your life? What's Christmas about in your life? Is, is Christ the center of Christmas? I want to read from Luke 2, 1 through 7. And just uh, give a few words and then we'll close in prayer. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor. Of Syria. It could also be translated, this was the census that took place prior to Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. They talked about that in the little program. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. You know, Christmas is about God becoming a human being to save us from our sins, but also give us life abundantly. God rewires us through Jesus spiritually. He reconnects us with God the Father. You know, the passage I just read is probably very familiar to you. It's a very simple passage. It's simple about Jesus' birth. In Luke 2, 1 through 7, we don't have any major theological truths to explain. We don't have anything major. It's a very simple passage. We don't have any issues of interpretation. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. This is not a fairy tale. Even most atheists have to admit that Jesus lived. We have extra biblical references from Josephus, a Jewish historian, and many others about Jesus' life. Even Hebrew, ancient Hebrew documents proclaim that Jesus even resurrected. We know Jesus lived, but why was he born? You know, we got to read through the rest of the Gospel of Luke to see that. Or we can just look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. In Matthew 1, 21 through 23, it says, She, that's Mary, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to give God's presence with us. Jesus was born fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, and he died in our place. When Jesus went to the cross, he took of the wrath of God upon himself instead of me and you. He died in our place. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. 
You know, some people think you can just be a good person to get into heaven. But the problem with that is you can never be good enough. One sin separates you from God. God is holy. God is righteous. He is perfectly pure in his very being. And one sin separates us from him. Let me go through just a, a list of Bible passages about this. The Bible teaches that God is too pure to look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13. Too pure to look upon sin. Psalm 66.18 says that if you hold sin in your heart, the Lord would not hear your prayer. God is holy, and that means set apart, perfectly pure. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The Bible says a penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23. The Bible says that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by Him. In John 14.6. The Bible teaches that sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2. The Bible says that God will not, He will not let the guilty go unpunished. 2 Thessalonians 1.8-9. Yet, the Bible teaches that God loves the people of the world. That's a dilemma. God can't tell a liar. He wouldn't be God. Numbers 23, 19. Yet God loves us. He wants a relationship with us. But our sin separates us from God. He can't tell a lie. You know. Or he wouldn't be God. Numbers 23, 19. God doesn't change his mind. 1 Samuel 15, 29. So he can't just change his mind on what he declared in the past. And that's why God sent Jesus. The guilty must be punished. Jesus took our punishment on the cross. The penalty of sin is death, but the free gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I want to summarize this with an acronym that spells gospel. And then I want to give a prayer and an opportunity for all of you to commit to Christ or to rededicate your life to Christ, maybe. You know, the Bible can be summed up with the, this acronym that spells gospel. God created us to be with him. We see that in Genesis 1 through 2. He created us. He wants a relationship with us. God, God walked with Adam and in the Garden of Eden, but our sins, they separate us from God. You know, I gave those list of passages that God is too pure to behold sin. He's too pure to behold iniquity. Our sins separate us from God. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually immediately. Immediately. Imagine yourself wired to God. Like you have electrical wiring connecting you to God. And when you sin, a short develops in that wiring. There's an electrical short in your spiritual wiring. The fuse is blown. The breaker is turned off spiritually. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually. When we sin, we die spiritually. And this is because of God's great holiness. Now, don't think of God as this megalomaniac wanting to inflict punishment on us. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine if you're on the top of the Empire State Building and you just walk off. You walk off. What's going to happen? You're going to fall, and you're going to fall fast, and you're going to hit the ground. And that happens because of gravity. But do you really think that gravity wants to get at you? Do you think gravity just hates you? And gravity, when you walk off that Empire State Building, gravity is there saying, oh, now I got them. They're going to fall. I got them. Gravity doesn't want to punish you. Gravity is part of the created order. And we, 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 we have that limit of gravity. And hopefully not the Empire State Building, but we've all fallen a time or two. That's gravity. God is holy. He's perfectly pure. He's perfectly righteous. And as part of his holiness, sin is against his being. As part of the created order and part of God's being, sin is against his being. And when we sin, we naturally are going to suffer separation from God. It's just going to happen. That's part of God's being is against God. 
And when we sin, part of the created order is separation from God and the wrath of God. Our sin separates us from God. The Bible teaches that sins cannot be removed by good deeds. Genesis 4 through Malachi 4. And the Bible teaches, that's a, that's a dilemma though, by the way. You know, God wants a relationship with us, but our good works don't cover sins. Because you still have those one or two or five or 15 sins to take care of. And God took care of the problem. Paying the price for sin, Jesus died and rose again. We see that in Matthew through Luke. And everyone who trusts in him alone has eternal life. John through Jude. Imagine yourself at the foot of the cross. Jesus on the cross. Your sins go from you to him. Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. A perfectly righteous life. So he could take care of your sin, my sin, the world's sin. And life is eternal in Jesus means being with Jesus forever. However, it's so much more than that. It's more than fire insurance. It's, it, it, it's, it's more than eternal life. Jesus gives us complete life now. Jesus gives us abundant life now. John 10.10. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I, give, I come that they may have life and have it to the full. Have it abundantly. Do you have the abundant life in Jesus? Are you experiencing the abundant life in Jesus? Are you committed to him as Lord and Savior? And in a nutshell, Christmas is all about Jesus' birth. God became a human being so that he could die for our sins. God brought events involving kings, common people, and shepherds in order to bring his son into the world. Jesus lived among us 33 years and died in our place. He died for our sins. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and rose again? And are you committed to him as Lord and Savior? Have you come to a point in your life where you have accepted Jesus' free gift of forgiveness for your sins? The Bible uses four verbs to describe our commitment to Christ. They're confess, believe, trust, commit. We're called to confess we are sinners in need of a Savior. That means we repent of our sins. Repent means we understand that we're a sinner and we turn around. We don't keep living in them. The Bible teaches we must believe in Jesus as the only Savior. Believe John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall inherit everlasting life. Believe John 14.6. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. We're called to confess and believe. And many times we stop right there. That's all we do. But more than that, we're called to trust in him and commit to him. We're called to make him Lord of our lives. I want to ask you a personal question. Is Jesus Lord of your life? It doesn't mean you won't mess up. It doesn't mean you won't sin. It means when you do, you repent, you acknowledge it, you move on. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus didn't come and die on the cross for our sins and rise again just so you can say a sinner's prayer and go on living as you live and in your own state and expect eternal life. No, he wants a relationship with you now. He wants you to live his way now. And what does this mean? It means that we firmly make the decision to be with Jesus. In order to become like him. You want to become like him. And to learn and do all that Jesus says. And you arrange your affairs. You arrange your life around him. Are you arranging your life around Jesus? I know that not all of you are. And truth be told, none of us are on certain days. And a mark of a Christian is that we repent when that comes and we acknowledge it and we confess it to God and we turn our life back to Jesus. When you have a relationship with Jesus, you love the things you love and you don't like the things he doesn't like. You don't like sin. You recognize it in your life. You, you apologize to God for it. You repent of it. You move on. 
Logically, you don't have a relationship with Jesus if you're not spending time in his word and in prayer and with his church family. These are called spiritual disciplines. That just takes logic to prove that. You can't have a relationship with somebody you never talk to, you never spend time with. And the church is called the people of God, the bride of Christ. Let's bow our heads and close to close in prayer. Before I begin the prayer, though, I want to ask you a personal question once again. Are you committed to Jesus as Lord and Savior? Have you firmly made the decision to be with him in order to become like him, to learn and do all that he says and arrange your affairs around him? I'm sure that some of you have done that years ago, decades ago, but you're not living for him. I encourage you to rededicate your life to Christ today. Some of you have been here for years, and maybe you believe in Jesus, but you haven't accepted him as Lord and Savior. You're not committed to him. You're not trusting in him. Trust in him today. Commit to him today. Some of you, maybe this is your first time hearing the gospel message. I encourage you to believe in him today. I'm going to give a prayer right now. And if you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ or commit your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior for the first time, say this prayer with me. The prayer is not a magical formula. It's just telling Jesus what you're doing, though. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I confess that I've sinned and missed your perfect standard. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again. I'm committing my life to you right now, Lord, and trusting in you as Lord and as Savior. I'm accepting your free gift of forgiveness today. Help me to live for you. Help us all to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If you said that prayer, share it with somebody today. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who repents. Don't resist the Holy Spirit's nudging. He wants a relationship with you. And if you have questions about God and the spiritual life, even if you're an atheist, an agnostic, a non-believer, talk to me. I would love to help you out. If you're a Christian and you struggle with doubts, don't be afraid to talk to me. I would love to help you. We're not going to close the service with a song. I'm going to close it with a prayer. Let's pray right now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful children's program and the message of the children's program today. And Lord God, I pray that that message will sink into all of us. And that you help us all living for you, making you Lord of our life. You help us all, Lord God, every single day to firmly make the decision to be with you. In order to become like you. And to learn and do all that you say and arrange our affairs around you. Lord God, we celebrate your birth this uh, Christmas as every Christmas. And I pray that as we leave this place, we truly do arrange our affairs around you. We truly do make Christmas about you. But not only Christmas. Every day. Bless the families as they go. Please, Lord, bless the children and bless our church family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.